All right, welcome to another episode of the Chasing Unicorns podcast. Uh, it's a series where we throw some of the brightest founders and scouts into the spotlight and get to see kind of what they're working on and how they're contributing to the startup ecosystem. I'm your host, Thomas Hogan. I'm accompanied with Unicorn co-founder Justin Gia. And uh, today we have a very special guest, uh, Francisco Gomez. He's the co-founder of Primary AI, a tech startup looking to revolutionize the way that companies use enterprise software. Uh, Francisco, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you. Yes, uh, doing really well. Thanks for having me here, guys. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, it's awesome to have you. So uh, just to dive in for our viewers and listeners, could you explain a little bit more about the overarching problem and uh, what you guys are building at Primary AI to solve it? Yes, uh, Primary AI, really what we are doing is uh, revolutionizing the way uh, software, uh, enterprise software is uh, consumed and utilized by everyday users, just like you and I. We see that um, enterprise software is ripe for disruption. Uh, what is very clear to us is that there is a big, a, a big trade-off uh, when writing software. There is a, the trade-off is between functionality and simplicity. When you have very powerful software, it is very complicated to make it user-friendly. At the same time, you see today that many people want to use powerful software. And because of this, you have these uh, large currents um, in software, which is a no-code, low-code tools. And really what we're doing is instead of going in the low-code, no-code, we're actually using AI that can sit on top of enterprise software where any user uh, it doesn't matter how technical they are, any user can actually just ask their software what they need. And that's in a nutshell what uh, we are working on today. Nice, nice, very cool. Um, so could you kind of take me through a walkthrough of what the product looked like? So let's say I oversee a team at you know XYZ company and I'm implementing uh, some sort of software like maybe HubSpot. Um, what does it look like when I tell my team about primary AI and how we're going to use it? Yeah, the way it's, uh, yeah, HubSpot and CRMs are actually a very interesting use case. As you know, um, uh, CRMs are not only the, the largest uh, enterprise software category, but it is actually, CRMs are used by several people across the organization. It's going to be uh, support people is going to be uh, operations uh, teams, is going to be sales and marketing, is going to be administrative assistance as well. And everyone has a different use case, which means that everyone comes across very different problems. But in reality, what we are doing is we're making uh, the software much easier for you to, to operate. In fact, uh, when you think about using, for example, HubSpot, Every CRM company is going to have an app which you can use on your phone or your uh, iPad. However, one of the big problems that we hear from um, CRM users, not only HubSpot, is that the mobile apps really encompass a 10, 20% of the entire functionality that you will have on the, on the desktop application. 
uh, software as a service you can access from any computer, which is fantastic, but that doesn't mean that you can operate the entire product from any device. So what we do is uh, we work with this concept that is called invisible software, where you actually don't need to touch the, the software, meaning the, the product on your computer. All you have to do is send an email or a text message to our AI, and our AI is actually going to produce the information that you need. Again, you may be looking for uh, all the individuals or the companies who have not paid uh, the invoice for the past month, or you want to look at your pipeline, or you may want to look at, uh, you know what, your salespeople are going to be flying to Florida for, a, um, for an event, and they want to see all the clients who have signed up uh, who are based in Florida. Mm -hmm. To do all that, you cannot do all of that through an app. That's just the reality of it. So what happens is that you or your team or even a third party has to sit down on a desk, get on the desktop computer, laptop, you name it, and you have to click, 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 go through menus, select, select, export, and then you come up with a report. Then you can start um, sharing that report with whoever is gonna be making the calls, uh, contacting the, the users uh, or your clients to, again, to pay or to uh, show up to your event or whatever the case may be. So what we do is we compress basically all that time frame and we compress all those steps. We remove them from you, the human having to take on those steps. Basically the AI understands what is that you need. The AI processes everything on the back end, puts together a report for you, sends it back to you in a matter of uh, two minutes or so. Wow. Yeah, so question that I have is, a lot of entrepreneurs start businesses because they face this problem in their everyday life and they see an opportunity for it to be optimized or at the very least improved, right? Is that sort of your reasoning into creating a better CRM tool? Have you worked with CRM before or was this just a really uh, ripe market to sort of disrupt? Yeah, well, I think that the, the market to disrupt is the entire uh, enterprise software. And, and like you say, uh, uh, entrepreneurs usually start companies right. because of their pain points. It's, it's very rare that you start something in a field where you really have nothing, no knowledge about, right? No, 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 no background whatsoever. So for me, um, I was working in the, in the corporate world at uh, large um, consulting companies, uh, accounting firms, uh, law firms. So my past is really in, um, as, as a power user of uh, enterprise software. However, before becoming a power user of enterprise software, I was also working at a company that sells, uh, it's a fintech company. They are heavily uh, skewed towards the capital markets, uh, data and analytics. So the big problem was always, well, we have such a powerful product. We, we sell um, the product very expensively to the investment bank. Sometimes they pay north of a million dollars for this product. The big question was, why are people not using it? Everyone wants the wants the data. Everyone wants the the insights. Why are people not using it, even if they're paying for uh, the licensing, right? So then you go to the other side um, and you start looking at the consumers or the users of uh, of enterprise software. And the reality is that no one wants to use their software because it almost feels like you work for the software, uh, not the software works for you. And that's really what we're trying to do at Primary to make the software work for right. you. And that's why uh, for me, it was very important to have the experience of working on both sides of the software, one on the vendor side, but two on the power user uh, seat 
so I could see what are the the main um, the main pain points, the main drawbacks of uh, of uh, the delivery, but also the the use of enterprise software. And if you think about uh, large companies or it, it, literally any business, there's very little that gets done from scratch that is new that doesn't ex- that just doesn't exist. Basically, everyone is sort of reinventing the wheel. Maybe they just make it a little larger, a little smaller, a little thicker, a little slimmer, but it's still the wheel and everyone is using the same mold. So we say, you know what? There's basically only so many things that you can do with any particular software. Why, if I use HubSpot and I know how to use uh, HubSpot, for example, why do I have to go and learn Salesforce from scratch? And why do I have to go and learn another CRM from scratch when in reality, the core of those CRMs is going to be the same. That's why they fall in the same product category. Otherwise, there would be a much different type of uh, product, maybe in finance and accounting, maybe in social media, uh, maybe for um, uh, for ticketing, uh, for customer service, things like that. But uh, we feel that once we can understand what the user intent is, what the request means, we can actually uh, have the AI do um, execute ex- execute the 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 request that the user wants, uh, but not only do it on one CRM. Say, for example, HubSpot. We can actually do it across all um, CRMs, but also what we call the skills is uh, again the intent, but also the action. That's what the skill is. You have the the skill of understanding and the skill of executing. So once we can deploy those uh, those skills successfully in a CRM, we can actually not only um, deploy those across other CRMs, but also across think uh, social media. For example, if you're looking at LinkedIn, LinkedIn, just like a CRM, you're gonna pull contacts, right? It's just that, are they my contacts or are they the contacts of the company in general? So that's, uh, again, our AI, it's, uh, it's not a feature. It is really the core of uh, what we're building. When you are saying that the AI is sort of the core of your business, um, for, for the viewers and listeners, I, I went onto the website and I saw that you actually give it a name. It's called Dan, right? Uh, what does that stand for? And also, how has it been just creating this technology? Are you still in the process of developing the prototype? Like, how, how has that process been for you and your team? Yeah, I guess uh, first the the name, Dan, you are right. Uh, that's how we called it. Uh, and it stands for a digital analyst. We did not want to um, name it an assistant uh, type of um, uh, Siri or Amazon uh, Alexa or anything like that. Um, the reality is that people have a very uh, preconceived notion of uh, what... Um, what uh, an assistant is, what an assistant does. And as good as these virtual voice assistants are, I mean, they they are fantastic. Uh, They just don't do everything. But we as humans feel that they should be as smart as we are simply because they can speak the way we do and they can respond pretty much in the same, at the same pace that, that we can. But we forget that at the end of the day, it's a computer that is not going to do anything on its own. Uh, it's going to be simply programmed to respond to 
a request to a prompt to a command. So we didn't want to go in the direction of calling it an assistant. Uh, we were very deliberate in the in the way we we describe our product and we call it the digital analyst because if you think across different um, different companies, different industries, uh, well, it, within the professional services industry, you're gonna have a lot of uh, a lot of individuals who have the title of analyst, and their jobs are very different than those jobs of uh, assistants. So for us, it, it, it made more sense to call our AI an, an, an analyst because it can not only, it's not going to turn on the lights, it's not going to play music for you. Sure, it can do search for you on the web uh, or in any, any of, the, of the enterprise software where you, uh, that, that you may subscribe to. But the reality is that it can crunch numbers. It can create reports for you. It can alert you when uh, you have... I don't know, think of, again, CRM, when you have duplicates, when you are running out of space on your database. So our AI is going to be very proactive and it's always going to have that executive thinking where it's going to not only react to what you tell it, but it's actually going to be talking to you and alerting you when you need to know something. And this is, again, when we go back to the concept of making uh, enterprise software smart. I think you you asked me a, a, a second question other than the name. Where we are in the product? So where we are in the product, um, the beauty of our product is that it will never be complete. If you think about it, there's always more products, uh, software products, new products. There's always new categories, uh, but there's also improvements to all those uh, products that exist in the market today. There's always more features, more um, workarounds, more uh, applications that you can use, um, use cases that you can use these, uh, these products for. So that's the beauty of, of our product that it will never be complete. It will be ready. And we're actually um, just a few weeks away from, uh, from uh, broadening our, our beta test. Uh, we have uh, created a, uh, what I like to call a brain trust uh, of users, um, power users of different um, um, CRMs at this point. And they share with us the biggest pain points, what they would like to do with, uh, with their CRMs. But ideally, they don't have to do it themselves. Or ideally, they don't even pass it to someone on their team. They would like to see these things done, not only automatically, but actually um, uh, on demand and based on their uh, preferences using their own software and ideally in less than 10 minutes. And the beauty of our AI is that it can retrieve or save any information. It can prepare any document for you literally in less than two minutes. So that's, uh, again, that's, that's the beauty of it, the compression of time and actions. Uh, I was curious to see you, Francisco. Um, I know we chatted a couple times before, but I wanted to know if this is your first startup because I feel like you're pretty knowledgeable about like the process of what it takes to go from ideation to product to real delivery. And it, it almost sounds like, you know, it's not your first time at the rodeo. So, you know, is it your first time starting a startup and how has that sort of influenced your journey so far? Yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely an interesting story. Um, it is my first startup. Uh, it is not my first time, um, designing, uh, building, rolling out, 
enterprise uh, products or um, self-serve products. Uh, one of my previous jobs, uh, we were uh, successful at rolling out uh, a self-serve analytics products uh, for, uh, it was a suite of, of self-serve analytics products at PwC. Uh, one of the large consultancies, as, as you as you know very well, and up to this day, it is the most successful uh, self serve service product that they have ever rolled out at PwC. Uh, initially, it went out to I want to say about five thousand users, um, consultants, and now it's probably close to. I don't know, 50,000 uh, people who have used it. And these people use this product every day. We were able to um, build the product in less than six months. We were given, I want to say, around $5 million in uh, in budget. And we actually completed in, I want to say, about 20% of the, we use only about 20% of the budget. Uh, so that, that experience has helped a lot in how you build products, how you understand the, the user, um, the user pain points. Uh, I am not a um, a developer myself, but like I said before, just having the experience of working on both sides of the enterprise software has been incredibly helpful. At the same time, uh, it is very difficult to to just jump on anything new uh, when you have not done it before. If you have uh, started a, a company before, it's a lot easier because you know the process. You 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 already learned your lessons. In this case, for me, uh, it, it is my first startup, but I have been incredibly lucky that I was able to find um, um, a co-founder who has started three companies and he started the three companies and he exited the three companies. Uh, so he was very successful, not only in starting, but building, uh, growing, and eventually exiting them. And as you can imagine, that takes not only the the, the technology expertise, but certainly the the business acumen to um, to see these three companies through. And for me, it has been a, a great uh, learning experience because I, I'm someone who likes to read a lot, and I just hate not knowing, not knowing something. But I, I understand. Uh, no one is going to know everything. doesn't matter how much time you have. Uh, but being able to partner with someone like my co-founder, Andre Volgin, uh, who is incredibly good, not only, again, with technology, but uh, all these uh, business aspects, it has been uh, very helpful for me. But also talking to a lot of founders as well. Um, and, uh, and to be honest, uh, taking the time to move from point A to point B. As founders, we always want to move fast. We want to uh, get there quick. We want to launch our product very quick. And the reality is that it all takes time. Things can take two, three times, sometimes four or five times the amount of time that you are thinking about. And that's why uh, right. when everyone thinks of success, they see the success in a straight line. But then you see it on the book covers that success is actually kind of like a little... Um, uh, round and then round and then finally it takes off. All those uh, right. turns is basically yeah. when you're yeah. learning or when you make assumptions and you say, you know what, before I get to point A, I need to backtrack a little bit and I need to break this down into different pieces so then I can get uh, comfortably to, to, to point B. 
so yeah, I mean, uh, it's been the the team, the people that you're around, um, and always uh, trying to learn from from others as well. Right. And I know you mentioned moving fast. Um, what are some of your goals in the near future for primary AI? And um, you know, any, anything exciting coming up? Yeah, we're very excited at uh, the pace that we're moving right now. Um, as far as moving fast, first we have to move slow. We have to really think through everything that we are doing because our product is actually a productless product, if you will, because you don't really go to a website, you don't really install anything. It all works through your email, through your text message. And all you have to do is send emails, send text messages, eventually will come to Slack. So there is nothing to really show you. Uh, it's more of an experience. And when you think of how you build a product that is really an experience that sits behind everything, you have to really start thinking different and you have to really start understanding the possibilities, but also the drawbacks. Uh, uh, to, to give an example, um, Amazon, Alexa, they started with voice and it is fantastic. Everyone got excited about, about voice, but if you're thinking of putting, for example, a voice assistant on top of a CRM, I mean, what are you going to do? If you, if you say, give me all uh, the clients that I need to call today, uh, what's he going to do? Read you a hundred names? And what are you going to do with that? How are you going to remember, right? So what, what Amazon did and realized later on, actually towards the end of last year, they um, they actually added their uh, the, the text message functionality to their app. So it is a process that even the big companies keep learning because these technologies are very, very new. So for us, instead of running fast and say, oh my God, voice is the, is the next frontier. Let, let's go there. Let's uh, hurry up there. We decide to take a step back and really start understanding uh, not only how the user goes about their day, but also the user works for someone. The user has some rules around them. And in this case, if you think of a bank, a consulting firm, a law firm, a PR firm, um, a small businesses, uh, they, they sometimes have also some compliance regulations uh, that they have to um, to work with. And just voice is not the answer to everything because there, there's a reason why email works, why written form works. When you have an investigation, there's always the first thing, get me all the emails because everyone, someone is going to be auditing all that. Now, if you say, let's do everything through voice, that's a, a whole new set of challenges for the vendor, for the client, for the regulator, uh, for the law firm, the investigation. So it's a whole new world. So for us, we decide to really take a step back and say, okay, so how does all these uh, fall into place uh, and, and work together? And we decided to not go with voice initially. We, we decided to go with a text because it's a lot easier to understand um, the intent when you have a written uh, a written form that that the computer can read right so uh that's where we we spent a lot of time and we spent probably about two to two and a half years before we actually got to the point where we are today um and right now like i mentioned uh we have a uh, a brain trust we put together a group of uh, uh a brain trust uh, who is, um, um, they're basically just sharing with us all the other pain points. And we have a very robust uh, pipeline. And our immediate, um, our immediate goal is to, 
to roll out our product uh, to a few hundreds of users in the next uh, less than two months, I want to say, maybe four to six weeks, roll, roll it out to three to 500 users, uh, get a little more feedback. And then once we can um, develop a few more skills, again, the skills where uh, the user where, where the user requests something, the AI understands and executes. So once we have these uh, these few extra skills, then our our goal is to go to to the market in a commercial way and see how the um, the first uh, users, first followers, first clients uh, start responding, testing obviously different um, pricing points, uh, pricing strategies, and also uh, marketing strategies. And ideally, once we get there, we can start uh, scaling across all fronts. But as we we're just talking about, we want to move fast, right? But you're going to have to test different messages. You're going to have to test different channels and you're going to have to test different price points. And especially for us, we're very cognizant that we cannot just run, run, run because it is such a different product that it may take a little bit for people to understand what it is when they read about it. But once they experience it, once they see it, uh, it, it it's the aha moment is very quick. Actually, that's something that we saw in our beta testing. Um, it took our users about three to three and a half minutes on average to get to that aha moment. So it was very, very instantaneous compared to other products because it is an experience. But if I just describe it, uh, people will start scratching their heads. <laughs> right. No, yeah. definitely. Yeah, super exciting stuff. Um, so I guess one of my last questions would just fall in line with kind of, uh, you've given some of your short-term and long-term goals, but as you guys begin to move even faster than you already have and uh, start to scale, are you looking for any sort of strategic investors or partners to come along just so... If anyone's uh, viewing or listening, you know, and is interested in uh, joining you, is there any gaps on your team that you that you want to fill with with uh, any particular people? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess uh, we're we're always looking for uh, people. I think that uh, your team is really what's going to make your your company successful. Um, we can uh, well, first we're looking to to raise uh, money and. That is to build a team. We have raised uh, money via crowdfunding, and now we're looking to raise a, a larger round. Uh, having said that, we want to have a diverse cap table, particularly at the early stages. Our team is very diverse, and we want to continue with that uh, with that theme. Myself, I'm from Mexico. My uh, co-founder, he is from Russia. Uh, we have uh, advisors, uh, women, and we have another advisor who is from India. So as far as backgrounds, um, gender, we have um, a very diverse team, which I believe is what gives us even more uh, more strength in what we're doing. Um, but yeah, we're, we're looking for financial partners uh, who support diverse teams. Uh, ideally, they are diverse as well. As far as strategic partners in the sense of that they're really strategic, like a corporate, things like that, um, I don't know that right now it is the best time for us to consider that because when you start looking at a company, a well-established corporate that will invest in you, that comes with a lot of strings attached. 
you're gonna have to give a lot of control more than price it's uh is the control that you're giving where when you see the the pure financial uh, partners uh they are there to support you support your journey and to see the best financial outcome for themselves where um the the traditional corporates they may want to have a say on who you sell how you sell they may have um they may want to negotiate not uh different control aspects of the company uh so i don't know that we are ready to go in that route having said that um the world is all, always uh full of possibilities and at the end of the day it's all negotiations and for us the the more important part is the the building the team uh because once we can build the team a little further we can we can begin scale uh, scaling even more um and go to uh to more and more more users so uh the the team where I, I don't feel we have holes right now because we are we are such an early stage but if we take it two three steps uh later uh, or further in, into our journey we can definitely add um uh some engineers to to our team who help us uh scale the development faster and certainly um individuals who have experience with uh with marketing as well because our um our backgrounds are very heavy in in the technology in the operations in the management uh with that in mind our our advisors have a very good um, uh, professional experience in in marketing and we're also working with marketing coaches so at this stage, I don't say I wouldn't say that we have holes in the team, uh, but as we look to scale, we definitely want to bring uh, uh, people in different capacities to to help us um, reach more users and reach our goals. Got it. And I'm assuming you guys have already begun the fundraising process, even if it's just very little. Is there any major pain points that you guys are running into? Uh, in the process of fundraising and if so what would be a like a perfect solution for it like what would you like to remove from the current inefficiencies of investment yeah uh, we started a few weeks ago um, and we have been successful at getting um, uh, responses from the from the venture capital investors and I think that speaks to the pre-work that we have done um, uh, in the beta at the beta stage, really getting to spend a good amount of time with our um, with our beta users, really uh, asking them uh, a lot of questions. Um, so that that has been very helpful, and the, and the return on the investment of our time has been very good. However, it wasn't always like this. We like like every other startup. Initially, we say, "Oh, we have this idea. Let's just build a, a prototype. Let's just take it out there and let's start reaching out to investors." So this talks again about that success uh, tra trajectory where we have to actually turn back, come back. That assumption is not working. Um, with that in mind, the process itself, right. regardless of our um, success rate so far of uh, getting. Um, getting responses from the from the investors it, it just takes a, a good amount of time uh, from the from the founders from the startups to to find the investors to find the right investors 
to schedule uh, meetings and to move from stage to stage, even when you're already uh, speaking to, to an investor. I do not know what the perfect solution is. And that is why the uh, Project Unicorn uh, has a, a bright, uh, bright minds there. <laughs> if I knew the perfect solution or near the perfect solution, probably I would have st- I would have gone in that direction. But uh, I'm not the the person to come up with with those <laughs> answers. But I can explain the pain points, which is yeah, it takes a lot of time, takes a lot of energy. But most importantly, what I hear a lot from uh, from other founders is. Uh, when when investors basically just ghost them um can be a waste of time uh, or it, it is a waste of time uh, let's not be too polite about it it is a waste of time and sometimes uh investors may be probing to see what's under the hood um and the reality is that yes there is a lot of money out there but the money is not equally distributed at the same time i feel that us as um as founders, we have to do the best job that we can at not only explaining our product and our vision, getting uh, to the point where we can have users and a product, but also understanding the investors who are the best match for you, getting to understand their profiles, their, their tendencies, their patterns, uh, where in their funds they are, when in the life cycle of their funds they are, and uh, and to be honest, to to understand that that capital on its own is a commodity. We all want money. We all feel that money will help us, and it will. But money does not solve your problems. Uh, you're gonna solve your problems, and if you're able to solve them by the time you come and speak to investors, I think that investors will feel uh, quite comfortable that you can actually um, achieve your long-term goal. Uh, but as far as more pain points, I think uh, it's just the organization of the whole process. Uh, where do I say uh, for, for me, I'll tell you my, my, my real life example. Before Twitter, I come from the corporate world, like I was saying. Before Twitter, what, what would I do? I would go on LinkedIn. But on LinkedIn, you find that everyone is a visionary and everyone is an investor. And the reality is far from that. So you go on Twitter. I uh, wasn't a big fan of Twitter. I wasn't using Twitter. Uh, but now I feel that uh, on Twitter, it's a lot easier to read people on Twitter. To, like I was saying, the, their tendencies, their goals, what they do. Uh, do they believe in something that you believe in? Uh, do they do they fund uh, startups like, like yours, basically at the same stage or at the... Uh, um, on the represented founders or in your in your industry um, at the cash levels that you're looking at, you can find all this information and engage with the with the different uh, types of investors. So Twitter has been a great source. At the same time, then you take it on your own hands. What do you do? You go to your Excel spreadsheet. Right, the glorious Excel spreadsheet. You start putting your names, uh, the names of the investors. I don't know their handles, uh, Twitter handles, websites, uh, who they have invested, when you connected to them. Kind of building your own CRM. CRM or no CRM, you still have to collect these records, and then you start going down the list. Uh, once you engage with them, uh, when did I reach out to them and how? What was the response? 
When did they respond? Do I have to follow up? And just this process on its own is very messy at all stages, from the minute you decide to go and find someone all the way to signing your term sheet. It is, um, you're dealing with people, you're dealing with different interests, you're dealing with different timelines. So by definition, it's not going to be a very linear and systematic process, but it's still a process. You still have to talk to people. You still have to sell your vision. You still have to connect. You still have to do the due diligence and sign the term sheet. So uh, even though we have not had the perfect uh, solution, I think that uh, there's a huge opportunity for you guys in uh, Project Unicorn to really um, uh, solve a lot of these pain points that us as founders are going through. And, and to be honest, not only founders, I, I can imagine it is the same for uh, the venture investors where they have a lot of deal flow, but I suspect that uh, their point of view will be that it is not the type of deal flow that they want. It is not the high quality that they want. And everyone is going to define their deal flow, their quality slightly different. Because again, we're talking about people. It's not a very um, uh, systematic process and not all products are the same. So there's always going to be nuances. But I think that having a, um, let's just call it a marketplace where both sides can come and meet each other, say the, the, the startups at different stages, but also the, the different investors. Right. No, definitely. That's the vision, right? That's the vision of what we really want to bring to life for founders and investors and scouts everywhere. But um, no, this has been awesome. And I'd love to give you a couple minutes to uh, let people know where to find you, you know, where to find Primary AI, where to sign up as a beta, or to follow you on Twitter, and where to get connected. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you can uh, read a little more about our company if you go on uh, primary.ai. And you can find me on uh, on LinkedIn, Francisco Gomez. You can also uh, follow me on um, on Twitter. That's fgomez underscore AI. And I look forward to connecting with uh, with all the, the founders and VCs as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for everyone listening, if you'd like to connect with Francisco or check out the website, we'll also be leaving the links um, in the description below. So uh, yeah, we're very blessed to be able to just talk to founders every day and spend most of our, our week doing it actually. So Francisco, this is no exception. Um, it's been a pleasure having you on and thanks for coming. Thank you guys.